TV. Sports. Call of Duty. TV. Call of Duty again. TV. Sports. Call of Duty. Sports. Sports, yeah. Dot TV. More sports. TV and sports. Call of Duty. And TV again. Call of Duty on a TV. Like sports. You can watch sports on your TV. And a dog. Hello and welcome to the Negative World Podcast, a podcast about video games by the Nintendo fans and NegativeWorld.org. This is episode 48 and we are recording this on Wednesday, May 22nd, 2013. I'm your host, Steven, or as I know on the boards, Dr. Fangelstein. Today, I've got two guests. Hey, this is an insage and people that call me a Joe. And I am Andrew, also known as Zero. And Zero is uh, with us once again because he's got a very special segment coming up uh, about his trip to ASEN. What's ASEN stand for? Anime Central, and this is an anime convention that takes place in Chicago, and I could talk more about it later, but there's a lot of video game stuff, too. Cool. Yeah, he's put out a bunch of really cool features on the site already, and I'm sure you've all read them all uh, twice over. Um and before we get to that talk, though, we're going to talk about the Nintendo Direct a little bit. I feel like every time we have a podcast, there's always a new one to discuss. So we'll discuss that a little bit. And also kind of what we're looking forward to coming into the big E3 Nintendo Direct and all that. But before all that, Jazz guys, uh, let's talk about what we've been playing lately. Andrew? Okay, so I've been playing actually a ton of games lately, and not too many I've gotten super deep into. So... Instead of talking about, like, 20 different games, I'm just going to focus on two of them. One of them is Mario and Donkey Kong Minis on the Move, I believe it is called. And that's, I guess you could say it's the next game in that general series, the Mario vs. Donkey Kong series. Although now it's Mario and Donkey Kong, and it also plays completely differently. So maybe you could look at it more as a spinoff or something. Um, so basically the, the idea is it's kind of like the, the old games using the minis where, you know, these things are marching, these little mechanical toys. It's like a little Mario or a little Peach or whatever. They're marching and you have to get them to the goal. And in the last few games, it was 2D kind of side view, like almost like a lemmings type game. In this game, it's top down 3D. So you you have to actually build sort of paths using, like, tiles that you get. There's also a bunch of, like, different things, like uh, springs that will shoot your guys over over a couple uh, tiles or warp pipes or just all different, like, obstacles and stuff. It's really, it's built, it's broken up into four different games that they all, like, kind of have similarities, but some share some things and some share others. And it was very hard. I wrote the review for this game recently, and it was actually hard to, to break it down into, you know, a review is a very linear thing. But, like, it was hard to figure out how to group this stuff because some things you wanted to talk about apply to, like, three of the four types of, of modes. And, you know, some of them only apply to one. And so it's hard to actually group group how to talk about them. But the first mode is basically 
it stars Mario, and you could always change the characters to whoever you want, but each one has like the official character it starts with. So this is Mario's mode, and it's basically like tiles will drop down on the right side of the touchscreen. You have to place those tiles quickly and create a path for Mario to the goal, which doesn't sound too hard, but it starts to get very complicated very fast. And if the tiles fill up, you you lose. And if you run out of time, you lose. So it, there's a lot of things working against you. It's not just, oh, I'm going to create a path directly to the goal and I'll be fine. Um, the second mode is like a kind of a puzzle mode. There's no time limit in this one. You're just giving a set, a set amount of tiles and you have to just place them in the correct spot to get your, your character all the way to the goal. The third one is kind of more like the old minis games where it gives you multiple characters at the same time. So you have to kind of manage all these characters at once and they're all little blue toads. And so you have to move the, you know, move tiles around, flip switches, basically keep all of the toads on the, r- the right track to get to the goal. And then the fourth one is Donkey Kong. So that's actually kind of very similar to the first one, ex- except his worlds are like huge. So it's, uh, it's, you do have to change your strategy a little bit to, you know, deal with the fact that you're going to be playing for a while and you have to keep getting more time to keep, so you don't run out of time. Um, but yeah, it's basically the game, and I, I wrote a huge review on it already, so I don't want to rehash everything that I wrote in that review. But I enjoyed it. It's it's not really that similar to the old games, other than the fact that you have these characters that you have to get from one spot to the to another. Um, well, um, <clears throat> then tell us what you think it compares as far as the other games. I mean, do you prefer the old game? play to to this or because I, I have an opinion it, about that well i I'd, I'd like to hear that i think okay here's my opinion first off the old game when i say the old games i'm talking about the ones with the minis because the first mario vs dk wasn't even like that that was right. more like donkey kong 94 you know it was mm-hmm. more like just a platformer with with some puzzle elements so the first of the minis games i played was the dsiware one and I really enjoyed that one a lot. So that's probably my favorite of the whole series. This new one I do like, but I, it didn't really click with me the same way that the 2D, the DSiWare one did. And that's the only one I've played of all the minis ones. The, the only other one I've played. So if I had to pick between the two, I would go with the, the DSiWare one, but I still did enjoy this one a fair amount. And it's nice to get something different to play. Sure. I, I agree with that mostly. Although, I mean, I, I I like Pipe Dream that game, and it's very similar in in that regard. But I guess I'm just finding myself a little bit disappointed compared to my past experience with the games because I did enjoy the kind of uh, I guess what just side scrolling style uh, like viewpoints where you're trying to um, connect uh, platforms and the minis are trying to hit buttons or like in a boss battle uh trying to get up ladders to to screw with donkey kong and um to me that was more puzzly like i'm doing these puzzles in in this one now and even in the mode where you don't get everything given to you it still feels like i just know what the solution is and i'm not you know at the very end of the levels or anything but i've beaten quite a few and it still feels like it's just painfully obvious and it's a matter of like beating the clock more or less 
Well, have you been going for all the the Mario coins? Because I think just getting to the end is usually pretty easy, but to get all the Mario coins in some of these does get pretty challenging eventually. I've, well, maybe that's my issue, because again, I'm, I'm not super far through, but I have been going for all three coins. And even even once in a, once in a while, I'll miss a coin, but I'll like get a figure eight or something, and then I'll somehow get to some magical land where I can get the last coin. I don't know. I'm not even sure how that function works, but... Yeah, that's actually one of the things I found a little weird about this game. So you're laying these paths, and there's two ways to get more time. There, You just, you see, like, stopwatches floating around the, the world, so you could just make your path go over to a stopwatch. Or you can create loops and figure eights with the pieces, which means, you know... Once your character's on a place, if you create it to loop back upon itself, and, or the figure eight, obviously, also loops upon itself, then it kind of rises up from the ground, and you have a little bit of time to just run around it, and there's all these clocks, like a ton of clocks that appear on it. So that's like the second way to get time. But to me, that's just such a weird mechanic, because it's like you... The game gives you such little time for a lot of these stages that you kind of always have to be thinking, like, where can I make a loop and where can I make a figure eight? And it really kind of gets in the way of just trying to strategize overall, like, how am I going to solve this this map? You know, because you're always having to think, oh, I need to build this figure eight. I need to build this loop. And then you're right. The figure eight, the figure eight also gives you an exit that you could place anywhere. So if you can find a way to make a figure eight, you can place an exit, and then you could get the coins in this, like, bonus world. So it's kind of like you could just skip trying to solve the, the stage and just make a figure eight instead and get the coins anyway. So it's a little weird. And then, to the the whole time-gathering mechanic when you get a, a loop or a figure eight is also kind of weird to me because your mini will move at a singular pace or whatever, and it asks you to tap it to make it move faster, and you got to, like, beat the clock. But... Um, I mean, I guess if you don't do it, then you don't get as much time, but they give you so much time that it's, you're just going to beat the hell out of your 3DS and, you know, get it. I mean, I'm sure I don't have to slam on it or anything, but it just seems silly to do that. I feel like it should just whip you around and be done with it. And then, too, when the time runs out, you might be at a different place than you want to be, so that could come into play, I suppose. It's just weird. I'm not even saying it's bad. It's just kind of confusing it is definitely weird like this whole game just feels weird to me like i'm sure there are people who are gonna love the mechanics but they don't really they're not like initially intuitive i don't even mean that you're not gonna figure them out because the game does a good job explaining to you i just mean they don't work the way you would expect things to work right yeah it just feels like um i don't know that they didn't really think that hard about like it feels kind of rushed in that regard like there wasn't a lot of play testing to see what really works or not in my opinion, anyway. There may have been. I, d- I do enjoy it, though. And when you get later, I don't know how far you are, but when you get into, like, the 30s and 40s of the stages, they do start to get pretty difficult, and that's when you really have to, like, work at it. But they're still – and they're still fun, though? I find, I find them fun. It's – it's the only thing I really don't like is just having to think about time all the time. I kind of wish that each stage would have initially given you, like, another 30, 60 seconds, and then, then if you're, like – really doing bad you're going to run out of time or something but right yeah because is it really in most cases even about the time isn't that just more of a an annoying hindrance as opposed to the actual bulk purpose which should be the solving the you know where to put the tiles and everything 
Yeah, and I, I've even f- found out that, like, sometimes I'll actually think I'm doing very well and I still run out of time. And then, like, you know, what what happened? I made, like, two loops. I went straight to every piece. Like, I, I thought this out very well. Like, why am I still running out of time? Like, it's very strict sometimes on the time limit. Mm. Yes, I mean, I'll keep playing it here and there, but I'm not, uh, it's it's not as worth it as I thought it would be. But I didn't wait for any reviews or anything. I just kind of went for it. Um, yeah, whole, I, mean, um, I, mean, I, I, I think I enjoy it more than you do, but it's definitely like I, I can understand why it doesn't click with some people, and I do prefer the old, the old style of the the Mario vs Donkey Kong games. Mm-hmm. Now, real quick, uh, do you have something else you were playing? Yeah, I was going to talk about Guacamelee. I I won't spend too much time on it because it's a a Sony game and probably most people here haven't played it, although I really think Nintendo fans should if they have a chance. It's a PSN game, and it's basically a Metroidvania where you are playing as a Mexican wrestler, and so it's more of a melee game, hence the name Guacamelee. So it's more like punching, kicking, like, you know, hand-to-hand combat put in like a metro metroidvania world where you're gathering power-ups going around there's all this non-linear progression and everything the game itself is very well done so that's already like just just the way it's designed and it's like one of the best metroidvania games i've played it does something which i think a lot of these games don't do quite that well which is when it gives you new power it's actually fun to use on its own terms it's not just essentially the power can unlock new stuff for you, but you're never going to want to use it otherwise. You know, because some of these games, like, uh, I can't think offhand, but some of these Metroidvania games, you get a new power, and, like, the only time you're ever going to use it is to, like, open the door to the place you're supposed to go to next or whatever. You know, it's, like, it's not fun to use. So Right, they're just, they're more of a key instead like of a... functional power-up. Instead of a true power-up, yeah. Yeah, and, like, you can use them sometimes, but they're just not that fun. But in this game... I mean, all the new powers really work into the the actual gameplay itself, and it's fun to use them all, and some of them are just really cool. Like, there's one you get, like, way late. Well, maybe I shouldn't talk about the late late game one, so I won't spoil that one. But there's, it's kind of like Super Metroid, where by the end of the game, you're moving around in ways you, you didn't expect you would have been able to. So it's like a lot of, a lot of that kind of thing. The, uh, the art style looks really cool. Yeah, it does. It, it looks very good. And here's the thing that I think really Nintendo fans would love aside from the fact that this is basically a beat em up Metroid game. But this game, and I have no idea how this is like legal, but it puts in like so many references from so many old school video games, mostly Nintendo games. Like literally the way you get your power ups are on these things called Chuzos. Mm. Which is basically spelled the same way Chozo is, but with an extra O. And they look like Chozos. Like, huh. if you look up images of Chuzu, you know, Chuzu, C-H-O-O-Z-O for Guacamelee, it's just a Chozo statue. It's sitting there, it's holding the little ball, you go break the ball, you get your power up. Like, they basically, they still oh, chose. Oh, jeez, you ain't kidding. Yeah, so, it's like, they, there's, there's that, but even that, like, there's like, there's all these posters that show up in the background of games of like different wrestlers and or whatever that are in this game world. But they're all like, there'll be like a, a red and green wrestlers with mustaches called like the, I don't remember what they call them, the something twins or whatever. It's obviously the Mario brothers. And then there'll be like the Mega Man wrestler. And there, there'll be, 
they just so many like little nostalgic moments that they throw into this game with all these different types of power ups. Just all the different things you're gonna see in the background or like there's big statues you'll you'll come across that it's basically it's Donkey Kong holding like a big barrel or something. It's like I have no idea how they're not getting like their asses sued off by Nintendo for this game, to be honest. I mean, it's probably just some sort of creative license where you change it just enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like some kind of parody because it's all kind of parody. Right. And they're not like directly taking the characters. It's a shame though that this isn't on a Nintendo console. Well, that's like, what I think too. And it's Guillaume actually said he talked to them at, at PAX or something, and and they said that it's probably not going to happen. So I guess no one should really sit and wait for it, but it really seems fit, like perfectly fit for Nintendo fans in my eyes. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I guess I don't understand the logic of putting it on just the PlayStation consoles, but maybe there's a, you know, a deal that Sony struck upon them or something. Yeah, I I guess there might be, but but yeah, that's, I don't really have too much else to say about that game. It's just a really well done Metroid type game with. You know, punching and kicking instead of shooting, and a ton of references to stuff that we all love. It's not just game references to it; references like all the internet memes and just all kinds of weird stuff. Cool. Well, if you have a PlayStation or a Vita, check it out. Yep. So let's move on then to Joe, who uh, he, I don't know, he's got a game to talk about. Let's let's just get into it. Joe. Well, which which one would you like me to start with? Let's start with the uh, Disgruntled Joe. Oh, Disgruntled Joe. Okay. <clears throat> uh, let me tell you about this game. Um, so, as I already posted on the forums, anyone who reads the forums, I was very generously given the game La Mulana for the Negative World Secret Santa this year. And do you remember who gave me that? Uh... Uh, as someone who like has no careful soul. <laughs> yeah, this, wait, was this me who gave you that? No, no it was me. Oh, was, I don't remember. I ended up getting. Yeah, I, I got Joe, which was just ironic and funny. And uh, of course, because we don't I it. asked for the game, so it is ultimately. Well, I almost I, wanted to ask for it myself. It looked nope. like a cool game. A lot of us were really looking forward to it. Yep. So, um, anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I guess at this point, maybe it's sort of become common knowledge about this game, but the, everything about it is very cool, except that the actual way that you are supposed to make progress through the game is just so impossible. Like, um, it, it's, it's basic design is that of like a Metroidvania, you know, it's all 2D platforms, but there's sort of this, point and click adventure aspect in a sense in that a lot of the way that you advance isn't just getting new items or power-ups but it's sort of like figuring out all these little puzzles in the rooms and they're not even puzzles in the way that you know tetris is a puzzle where it's visual but it's like you know you read like these little stone tablets and they have these extremely cryptic hints where you know you're supposed to stand on this one section of the room and that will trigger something to happen like five rooms over and that's how you're supposed to get through the game primarily but just 
as an example of how impossible these things are, so I sort of gave up uh, the other day, and I looked at a walkthrough. And uh, first of all, one thing that could be really cool about this game is it's extremely non-linear. I mean, it seems like you can tackle like any part of this game in any order, so long as you, you know, have the tools to uh, advance in that part. So, one of these such parts that I looked up on a walkthrough was uh, there's this one room where there's this little stone uh, circle in the middle, and on the circle there's a shape of a sun, a moon, and a star. And there's these two platforms next to the circle. And these platforms don't look any different, but uh, if you stand on them, turns out if you stand on the one on the right, the circle rotates to the right, and vice versa with the one on the left. So if you put, let's say you rotate this little circle so that the moon is on top, then in a room that is, say, like two screens up, three screens over, there will be a little uh, platform and a little button will appear, uh, and it's kind of hidden within the chest of this statue that's in the background. Uh, but if you look real close, you see it's there. And to my knowledge, there was like no direct hint that was telling me that that was going to happen. So it seems like what I would have had to have done was like rotate that thing so that the right celestial body was at the top, and then happen to wander over to that screen, and then look closely enough at this one little spot and be like, oh, there's a new button there, and then go hit the button. Uh, and there, there's similar things for, you know, if you make the sun on top, and there's another one if you make the star on top, and they're in all different spots of the dungeon, and I was just, I was reading through the walkthrough and doing it, I was just like, how in the hell, like, how many hundreds of years of just blindly wandering around in this game would it have taken me to figure this out on my own? And so what do you think their point was with that? Like, do you think they were really just trying to be, like, old-school dicks as far as the challenge? Or do you think that they had something else in mind that just wasn't executed properly? <laughs> no, the funny thing is, you know, because a lot of the difficulty people say, like, oh, you know, it's like old-school games. And even I saw a little thing with the developer. They're like, oh, you know, we're trying to bring back the old-school difficulty. But old-school difficulty was not like this like old school in my mind is when there's like a challenge and like a very direct obstacle and it might be a very steep challenge but you know what to do to overcome it even if you can't manage to do it yet but this game is like i hate to toss around the word trolling because i feel like these days like trolling means anything at all negative but it really feels like the game makers are trolling the user because like there are spots in the game where, okay, like I said, there's these buttons where you put things on them and they trigger events. But I'd say about 20% of these buttons cause bad things to happen. And you have, like, no idea. So you'll push a button and all of a sudden uh, the jawbone from the statue that was above you just falls on your head and hurts you. Now, does it hurt you or does it end your life? Uh, hurts you, that one. There's another room where if you trigger something, then a statue entirely falls on you and you die immediately. Um, so things like this. So now, so these days now, like when I push a button, I can like run away just out of safety. But and isn't that more tediously annoying than like tactically fun? 
I guess, and this is why, like, I really think it, it's sort of like the developers really are like poking at the user with a stick, and the the obstacle that you overcome in this game is like your own willpower. It's like your own willingness to say like, screw it, I don't care how frustrating this is, I'm gonna beat this son of a bitch damn game. And that's kind of what I think the developers wanted, so mission accomplished in that sense. Hmm. <laughs> so now, Andrew, you've played this game quite a bit as well, right? Yeah, I have. How is is he off base here, or is he spot? On? Um, I'd say he's one hundred percent accurate. It's it's a very it, all right. It's a game with very good core gameplay, and it just saddens me that the way you progress is just so obtuse that it's like next to impossible. And I did get, I did get, um, I forget. There's like x amount of things you're supposed to collect and i probably collected like maybe 20 to 30 percent of them on my own without having to cheat or anything but at at that point i just there was i had no idea what to do next and like that that puzzle he was talking about where the things you know the the thing it's the sun moon stars or whatever i was at that room i sat in there for like 15 20 minutes like try and figure out what I'm supposed to do. There's no hints. There's no like nothing makes you think that you are supposed to do something there and then go to another room like ten rooms away. And there are these little like you know you'll find like pieces of paper on dead people who give you hints. But like he said, they're very obtuse. They're like they'll just be like these very cryptic hints, and it's maybe like twenty percent of them you'll have even the the slightest inkling what they're even trying to hint at. So Right. And, because I and, think there's really only a small percentage of them that are even supposed to mean anything, as far as I can oh, tell. Really? I think a a lot of them are just there just as I don't know if distraction is the right word, because really there's you couldn't even interpret most of them as hints. That they're they're sort of like backstory in a sense, but uh, yeah. Uh, another interesting thing is, technically, I think I beat the game, but it made no sense. Like, <laughs> there was still way too much content left. I didn't even get the, the, like, the, I only got a fraction of the things I was supposed to be collecting, but I fought this boss and then the credits came on and I was like, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't even like there was no build up to it or anything. I thought it was just some weird random mini boss or something. So, maybe, maybe the game is so horrific that like after a thousand deaths, it just gives you the credits. And says, <laughs> okay, nice uh, try. I don't know what happened, but it, it is like a really good gameplay. I almost feel like if they were to come back to it and fix it, it would be an awesome game. La la Moana. That's probably never going to happen, but but it is cool, and like I kind of like that you have to like use you know it's not everything's not handed to you, but it's like the opposite. And yeah, I think Joe's right. Like some people will say, "Oh, this is like old school gaming," and I'm like, "No, I've never played anything <laughs> like this." And right. even like at the at the ASIN, I was just at at one of the panels. I was at someone asked, "Has anyone here played La Mulana?" And I was the only person who had raised my hand, so they asked me to talk about it a bit. And I, I was like, "Yeah, it's like fun, but you you never really know what you're supposed to do, and then you just kind of end up giving up in frustration." <sighs> and the guy there said. 
and like he said something like, "Oh, isn't it like old school games?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't think there's old school games like this." And he's like, "What about Castlevania 2? Yeah, that and is I, the only one that's even remotely accurate. Yeah, and that I've never. But that's played. only in like two or three spots, as opposed to the whole game. Well, yeah, that's what I was just about to say. I've never played Castlevania 2, but I, I know that there's a couple spots that are notorious. Like, you have to go kneel at some place holding the right item or something. No one would think to do that. But, yeah, that's just a few spots from what I've heard. It's like this is an entire game based on that type of puzzle solving. Right. So imagine right. that. Like, anyone who was frustrated with that part in Castlevania 2, like, why would I be kneeling here with this item in my possession for five seconds? Like. This entire game is that. Right, right. And, you know, as I'll probably say about uh, Starship Damry, if we get to talk about that in a little bit, is, you know, I have no problem with a game not holding your hand. I have no problem with, uh, you know, trying to, like, puzzle out your own, you know, what are you supposed to do next kind of answer. I mean, I kind of really like that. I, You know, these past year or so, I've played a lot of adventure-type games, and I, I love that aspect of them. I enjoy it when when it's not so obvious, like, okay, well, I need to like bring this statue and put it on this altar or whatever. But this game is just, it doesn't even let you play that. It doesn't even let you have that experience. It's more like instead of a test of your ability to figure something out, like I said, it's really more just a test of your patience and not much else. Yeah. I've got two sisters that have allowed me to test my patience enough in life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm okay without this game. It's, yeah. it's it's even to the point where I went and looked up two different facts and like I couldn't even figure out what to do after reading the facts because it's just such <laughs> a confusing game. Like I had these two different facts sitting right in front of me and I was like, I still have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. And I'm probably going to eh, I'll give it another chance or two because I couldn't give it away. <laughs> um but anyway, on to games that I do really enjoy. So I guess I mentioned Starship Damry, so I'll just go with that because that won't take too long. But that is the uh, downloadable eShop game that it seems like a bunch of people have actually been giving a try to lately. Uh, and this is another one of the small games. It was part of the Guild series over in Japan. I believe this is part of Guild 02. Um, but this game sort of similar to La Mulana in that it prides itself on saying like we are not going to give you any instruction like the first thing you see when you start the game is like a little piece of text that says like there is no tutorial there is no instruction figuring it out is part of the fun or something like that um and basically you just you like wake up on this spaceship kind of and you're sort of like inside this little coffin this little cold sleep pod and basically that that's it and then you just you just begin clicking on things and uh slowly getting information and what it does straight away is it sort of says like you know uh you know inside this little pod you start talking to the on-ship computer that tells you you know you've woken from cold sleep one of the byproducts of of that is is amnesia of some kind you know usually temporary but that's probably what you're suffering from uh you know which sort of explains why you know, it sort of parallels you as the gamer, how you have no idea what what's going on, uh, which I thought was kind of neat. And what you can do uh, from inside this little capsule, because uh, you can't get out of the capsule 
it says that the oxygen level outside the capsule is not is not optimum yet or something like that. So but what you can do is take control of these little Johnny Five from Short Circuit style uh, robots, and then the top screen becomes your camera view from this little robot that you're controlling. Uh, but you immediately find that like uh, eleven out of the twelve robots are offline. And as soon as you start walking or uh, driving around with this robot, you discover, like, you know, there's dead crew members. So clearly something has gone completely awry. Uh, And then it's just your job to sort of wander around and try to figure it out and just try to solve the mystery. And as you do, you get, you know, little drips and drabs of the uh, backstory and what has led up to it. And throughout the entire experience, the atmosphere is just really spooky. Everything's pretty dark and like you usually can't even see what's in front of you until you like get close enough with your little robot's uh, headlight, you know. And they also kind of do the typical horror thing where there's like this ghostly image of this little girl that's sort of like pops up now and then. And um, it's 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 genuinely spooky. And it's not all that in-depth. Uh, like I said, I enjoy that they let you sort of figure things out on your own, but the puzzles aren't really all that complicated or anything. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, it's short and it's sweet, and uh, I'm glad I played it. Now, uh, Andrew, you played this game as well? I've played like the first half hour, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's it's enjoyable so far. I feel like it's kind of a game where the atmosphere seems better than the actual gameplay. Right, it's, totally. It, the gameplay is, as Joe said, it's pretty basic so far. And I don't know much about Beyond Where I'm At, but I'm going to trust him in that <laughs> it probably doesn't get much more complicated. No. So it's, it's really simplistic gameplay. Some of the controls are li- like the riding around on these guys, and maybe it's on purpose because they're these little robots with like treads for feet or whatever. But they're the controls are a little weird to me for that. But it does have a nice atmosphere though, and I'm kind of interested in seeing what else is. You know, I, I do want to keep moving with it. I, the only reason I've only played so little is because I had all this ace and stuff, and I haven't played much hmm. of anything this weekend. But what's the price sure. point on the game? Uh, seven ninety nine. Okay, so, so obviously it's subjective, but is it worth it? Um, I think so. I had no problem with it. Uh, I don't. I mean, probably like ten bucks would have been too much, but you know, I think we're it's just at the cusp. Be- simply because it's just not that long. I mean, I don't know how many hours it took me, but I think I beat it in maybe like three or four sittings. Um, so you know, just not that long. Um. But I do think that they're, you know, like in some of the cutscenes, like the, you know, the production value is okay. Um, so I can see why it was of that price, and there is a fair amount of voice acting, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's certainly well made. I will agree on the controls, even though they are little robots on their treads, and it would have been nice to have like a strafe function, because especially in a game where you have to get so close to these objects and inspect them you know the floor everything is essentially grid based the way you move so let's say you're one grid over and one grid away from something you know it would be nice to just like strafe over and then be able to see it but what you'd have to do instead is like turn right go forward turn left go forward 
Mm. You know, so it's not a big deal, but it is a little bit annoying. And as far as I can tell, I don't think the shoulder buttons are used for anything. So that would have been a good, you know, something they could have added. But regardless, uh, I think it's an excellent little experience. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like reading a little short mystery novel um, set in a sci-fi atmosphere. So it was very cool. I would recommend it. Cool. Uh, Let's see. Yes. It's a bit of a departure, too, from what we usually see level five do. You know, their, their games are usually more colorful and like mm. even like when they have some mystery and stuff like Professor Layton or stuff, it's still presented in like a, a more lighthearted way. And like this is just dark and dreary and there's dead bodies <laughs> laying around and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is really level five. Yeah. Yeah. I, that thought crossed my mind. Yeah. But it's good stuff for them. They're a good company. So, uh, let's see. So I got, uh, maybe two other games to talk about. I'll try to go quick. But, um, the next one I will talk about is not too dissimilar from Starship Damry, and that is Virtue's Last Reward for the Nintendo 3DS, uh, which is a game that I was really excited, uh, to even find out that it was being made. Um, cause I, you know, I wasn't sure how successful 999 was at. Um, the DS originally, but um, so this is its sequel, and I will say the sequel solves one of my biggest problems with the first game, which was that the first game sort of it left too many things unanswered, and for a game that is similar to Starship Damry and that it really is like the intrigue that keeps you moving forward, the fact that so many things were left unresolved really kind of left a very unsatisfied feeling. Uh, but this game, thankfully, answers a lot of those questions, and it even answers a lot of the questions that are brought up in this new game. And so things are kind of like wrapped up nicely at the end. So, uh, and but with also leaving a little bit open for the third game, which has already been announced. So I think they really sort of honed their their storytelling craft in that sense, and uh, and made it very enjoyable. Um, the setting is maybe not as interesting as the previous Zero Escape game, but um, they did do one thing in the mechanics where, so the way this game works, just like the first one, it's just like a classic point-and-click adventure, uh, only the the setting is very, you know, sort of twisted and dark. There's a lot of grisly murders, and, you know, people are always betraying each other and things like that. Uh, but the way that they always work is that there's, like, all these sort of alternate realities uh, depending on the path that you take, the decisions that you take will sort of you know take you down a certain path in the game. And the way you would get all the endings, and then the best ending is to venture down each and every path. So in the first game, that got a little bit tedious because the best thing you could do was you could hold right to speed through text that you'd already seen before, and that was fine. But essentially, you did have to replay the game a certain number of times. Well, in Virtue's Last Reward, they really fixed that with um, this little button called the Flow button. And what that is, is you hit that and instantly you see just an entire branching grid of all the possible paths that you can take through the game. Um, So at any point, you can hit that button and then literally just click on a point in time in that branch. And you just sort of warp there and then you just pick up the story right from there. And usually, in fact, when you're looking at that grid, it'll usually even give some little hint as to, like, the thing that you would need to do 
uh, before you go back to that area in order to get a new path. So, like, for instance, if it ended at a certain spot, if you look at it on the flowchart, it might say, like, you know, uh, need the antidote or something like that. So then once you find the antidote in a different path, then you can go back here and all of a sudden, you know, you replay the same scene, but now your character knows where the antidote is and now you can progress even further. Um, so, you know, very, very fresh idea. Excellent for this genre of game. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if you guys had any interest in a game like this or questions about it, but. Well, I, I played the first one and I own this one. Um, I'm just trying to finish off some other stuff before I start playing it. And my brothers actually borrowed it. So I don't even have it with me now anyway, but the first one I loved and I reviewed it. Yep. And I think I gave it like a 9.5 or something. So I'm like definitely interested in this. Although I do feel like this is a weird thing to say maybe, but part of my experience with the first one was that I played the first time I played through it was like six, maybe six, seven hour train ride coming home from Canada. And it was like late at night and I was alone on a train. That was like the perfect atmosphere to play this game. Absolutely. Yeah. I bet it would be. And so now I'm like, I mean, I wasn't alone on the train, but in the actual car I was in, there was only like one or two other people. And it was late at night and everything dark out. So now I'm like thinking like, can I really just play the sequel like laying in bed or something? <laughs> have the lights off, but it's like, I wouldn't have that experience of being like away from my comfort zone. And sure. But yeah, still. no, that sounds perfect. Well, and that's one thing I was saying about like one the the one thing that is just slightly disappointing about this one versus the first one is that first one had that setting of the ship and it was just like all this really old ornate decoration and furniture and everything like that uh which I think would be perfect for a train ride but um this game it's there really isn't hardly any of that and you know I think that sort of vibe is like almost anonymous with with mysteries but this setting in this game is more like industrial. It's like you're you're almost in like this warehouse and, you know, all the walls are like all the surfaces are like metal and things like this. Um, so, you know, it's it's different. Uh, I probably someone could make a case. Well, this is, you know, not as cliche, thus it's fresher, better, whatever. But I I missed the more you know ornate classic mystery aesthetic um so that is a little bit different so maybe it wouldn't matter as much but i see what you're getting at with the you know atmosphere that you're playing the game in but i think you'll enjoy it. i mean if you liked the first one there's no reason i mean i think you'll love the second one i mean i think it was it, it improves a lot on the first one and um and and really just builds on what the first one started so yeah, I would look forward to it. I, it takes takes a long time, though. Even with being able to skip back, I think I was around 40 hours for this game. So, yeah. And that's with really not not even really replaying anything that it, I didn't have how, to. How many different endings does it have? Because the big thing about the first game was like there's all these multiple endings and you don't really get the whole story until you like find the true ending. And So right. there were like five, six endings or something in the first game. Right. So in this one, there are the first one, I think, had six or seven endings. Uh, this one has 
at least nine, but it, it even goes beyond that. Like, there's a bunch of things where the path just kind of ends, so you could count that as an ending, but the game doesn't necessarily count that specifically as an ending. But then there's also ones that, you know, as you said, with like the true ending that go beyond those nine and like that's you know there's like two or three little stops even after you've gotten everything else so yeah there's certainly plenty of different endings and and certainly the true one goes goes a lot deeper uh just like the first game did yeah so that's what i've been playing um i've been busy anyway it's been good times what about you Stephen black what have you been playing not much um just haven't had time to really sit down and play games. Like all last weekend, I said to myself, I'm going to spend today playing Nintendo. And I did not. But uh, I've been dabbling a little bit on my 3DS when I get a minute. And besides games we've already talked about on the podcast, like Layton and uh, the minis, yeah, the new Mario mini game, um, I've been finally trying to dive into Rhythm Heaven for the DS, which mm-hmm. I bought a long time ago. And I love Rhythm Heaven Fever, so I was really psyched to kind of just break into this. It was such a good deal and everything, too. Uh, but I'm having a little bit of trouble with it. And I don't know if you guys have any experience with this game or not. I yep. played uh, my brother-in-law's copy of this for about 15 <clears throat> minutes okay. one time. And I played Rhythm Heaven Fever for maybe 45 minutes. Okay. But, Andrew, you've played both games quite a bit, right? I've, yeah, played both games and beaten every stage in both games. The first game, I don't think I got all the medals on. These Rhythm Heaven Fever, I did get all the medals on. I don't try to go for perfects because that's insane to me. It's really frustrating because they have that flashing P, which is just there to distract you. Um, I don't remember how many medals I got in Rhythm Heaven Fever, but I did get a lot. I don't think I'll ever get Love Rap or Love Rap 2. But those are very weird, but once you like know the timing, uh, I don't want to say once you know the timing, it's easy because it's still weird. Like it doesn't feel right, but it's like you at least kind of know what you're sort of supposed to do. They're still hard, though. Right. Well, my issue with this uh, DS version is just the flicking is just not as clean and intuitive as the button pressing. And maybe it's because I played the hell out of Rhythm and Fever before I play this game, but I'm having a lot of trouble with that. Like, even when I'm flicking at the right timing, it's not catching it because I'm not flicking it correctly. And I feel like that's kind of hard to judge. Like, a button press is kind of either all or none, but a flick, if it's not the right length or if it's too quick or too short, it doesn't really register it. And so I've been kind of frustrated by that. Did you have the same issue or no? Um, I don't think I did so much, but I definitely feel like just overall, button pressing is a lot more precise. So, like, Rhythm Heaven Fever, I found to be a little bit easier in some ways. Yeah. And then so far, too, I'm finding that the music is not as good in this one. And, like, Rhythm Heaven Fever was much more of an upgrade. Just, uh, I know that they reuse some of the things, like, I think the robot was an example of a level that was used early on that was kind of the same. At least the same theme. Um and, uh, oh no, it, it was the same, same exact, like, mini game or whatever. So there's a few of them, but, uh, I don't know, I just like Rhythm Heaven Fever more. I was actually at work recently listening to 
like the entire soundtrack one day. Uh, I I mean I, I like the first. You pl- you played the Fever first and then went back to the DS, and that's yeah. kind of difficult because I do I did like the first the D, it's not the first one in the series. I think the first Western one on the DS and. I enjoyed it, and then the the Wii one came out, and I do think the Wii one is superior. So, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm trying not to be discouraged or to be, uh, I guess, um, what's the word? I guess spoiled by Rhythm Heaven Fever, but eh, I don't know. I'm gonna keep at it. Some of it's pretty fun. I think I just haven't really sat down with it to have enough time to really get to learn everything correctly. Because that's one thing about Rhythm Heaven Fever. I Spend so much time in in a room, quiet by myself, just focusing on the the notes and everything and the timing. I haven't been able to do that as much here, so I don't know if maybe that's my problem, and it's not so much the flicking or not. But the flicking versus button pressing is really frustrating. I think I think with any kind of rhythm game, there's like everyone has a slightly different sense of what rhythm even is. Like I've played games where some people will say. Oh, the rhythm's way off, and I'll be like, "No, X." To me, it's like perfect. It, I, when I press things, when it makes sense to me, it always hits it. And other people be like, "No, that's like way off." It's like you have to press it earlier or later. And even with Rhythm Heaven Fever on Wii, I was talking to my girlfriend because we both played a decent amount, and I think Rhythm Heaven Fever's timing's like perfect. And she's like, "No, it feels off to me." Like I'll press things, and it, it when I know I've hit it right on the the beat. And it doesn't register. So I'm like, I think when it comes to rhythm, everyone just kind of has their own idea what good rhythm even is. Sure. Yeah, because I felt that Rhythm Heaven Fever was pretty much spot on. Like, as far as games go, that's almost a perfect game to me. Because I just feel like it works for exactly what it sets out to do. And it's got great music, got fun mini games and gameplay and all that. So I was incredibly impressed. I mean, I've gushed about it before on the podcast, but this one feels way different to me. Yeah, it's hard to step backwards like that. It, it is a step back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's all I've been playing, really. Um, I want to get back into Xenoblade as well, because I'm right at the end boss, I think, and I just haven't moved from there in months. And uh, so hopefully I'll I'll get to do that, too. I won't have any time during the Memorial Day weekend, which will be uh, already passed probably when this comes out. But uh, Do you know so how many hours you are in? In Xenoblade? Oh, yeah, I'm like 115. Oh, uh, yeah. Something like that. So uh, so I'm close. And I've actually asked around people, you know, this battle that I'm at, how close am I to the end? I'm probably within an hour of the game mm-hmm. being over. Assuming I can beat the boss, which I was actually kind of having a rough time with last time. Mm-hmm. And I probably just need to grind a little bit. But at that point in the game, you don't really want to grind anymore, you know? Yeah. You've seen all the locales that you're going to see. You just want to kind of do it. The story's gotten really weird and interesting, so you really wanted to see that, you know, play out. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I'm trying to think about what's on the horizon game-wise. I'm really going to try to play the Oracle games when they when they come out in uh, in just a week or so. And so that might trump everything, because I freaking love those games. Um, How much are those debuting at again? Uh, like seven, eight bucks. Mm. Although I think they're going down to five for a short time. At mm-hmm. the start, so for, yeah, yeah. So for ten bucks, you can. That was in the Nintendo Direct. Uh, for ten bucks, you can get both for the next maybe month or something. Right. I don't know. So are you gonna? You're definitely gonna get in on that. Who me? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I have those those both carts. 
I've played them 100%, and it's been it's like the only Zelda game I haven't replayed probably ever. So I can't wait to go back into that finally. You know, one thing that I didn't even really know about those games originally, uh, which I think came up in the Nintendo Direct, not to get too much ahead of ourselves, but uh, was this idea that if you have both, it like unlocks uh, more of an ending or, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there's like a whole... It's the same like boss story ending in both games. Uh-huh. but uh, So it, do, it doesn't matter which one you play first. But it only will exist if you use a code from the previous game and start your next game with that. Okay. So does that mean, like, would you literally, would you really need both copies, or could you just know the code? You could, or... Yeah, you could use someone else's code, okay. presumably, which would be lame because then you wouldn't be playing the awesome. Right. Game. Of course. Of course. Of course. I'm just, I'm just trying to but figure yeah. out how it works. And then, yeah, there's no like you... Snap-on cart technology. This isn't Sonic and <laughs> Knuckles or something. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing was, uh, so does it, is it to your benefit to like see that ending on both games or is it the same extended no, no. ending? Yeah. It's the same extended ending as, oh, as okay. I remember. So okay. yeah, there, you wouldn't beat game two and then throw the code back into game one or something. Right. It's okay. just, the code mechanic just exists purely to allow you to play either one first. And that mm-hmm. came about because they were going to do three games originally. You know, one for, you know, Courage, like all three different, kind of based around the three different facets of the Triforce, but it was too complicated to get three codes to work with each other. So they mm-hmm. cut it down to two, and and so, yeah, they, the, their whole intention was just to have tons of Zelda, two different experiences, but then time together, and still keep their main idea alive, but obviously make it work within the limits. Right. That's cool. Yeah, maybe I'll impulse purchase and finally play those games for real. I wish you could trade La Mulana in for those. (laughs) These games actually, when they originally released, they released on the same day. Mm -hmm. Yep. One of the things that honestly, to me, like it's cool, but I also feel like it's almost overwhelming to try to take on two Zelda games at once. And I know you, you don't actually play them at the same time. You'll play one through and then play the next one. But I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) Like, well, look One at Zelda game is like a big thing as it is. I, I don't know how long these are. Maybe they're a bit shorter than usual Zelda games or something. Honestly, if I remember correctly, they're just as long as any other Zelda. Yeah. Um, at least as long as Link's Awakening. Which Link's Awakening can be beaten pretty quick if you know what you're doing. Um, the dungeons are a little less elaborate than you'd find like in Link's Awa- or Link to the Past or something. But it's still a fully fleshed out Zelda game. And, and they're both... I mean, they're not exact copies. Their their overworlds are completely different. And frankly, like the way I see it, and I know this won't be for everybody, but I remember getting these games and thinking, okay, this is really fun, and now there's more. Like that's that's just how it rolled out for me. And it's a whole. If it was the same overworld but like a different part of the story, I would almost find that to be tedious. But it's brand new. Every cave is going to have something different in it. Caves are going to be in different areas. Enemies are different. Um, the whole premise of going between time in the one game and then changing the seasons in the other is vastly different, even though they both kind of revolve around changing your landscape in some degree. And actually, the the ages... Um, I, I love how I can talk about a game I haven't even been playing, but I can talk about it so well. Um, the ages game, I remember fondly about those puzzles being pretty cool, because while A Link to the Past messes with... the Like, when you go into the, the dark world, uh, it just, you know, it changes how it looks, but that's kind of it. 
But here you actually want to make like vines grow and then not grow anymore. And you want to play with that mechanic going back and forth in time as opposed to even Ocarina of Time where you just kind of go forward, that's it. So that's a really cool mechanic. And then uh, Oracle Seasons I always really like too just because it was unique to see the whole overworld four times over. You can change any screen into fall, summer, spring, or winter. And um, In Banjo-Kazooie, uh, Click Clock Wood was my favorite level, and that kind of had the same kind of mechanic. So, yeah, it's cool. It's I've, worth it. Obviously, I'm still, I've never played these games before, so I'm obviously going to buy them like day one and start playing them. But I guess I, the way I usually think, and maybe I need to stop thinking this way, is that there's like console games or you know retail games that I want to play, and they take a certain amount of time. And then there's download games that are going to pop up out of nowhere, but they usually don't take that long. Right, and here you're going to kind of have a full experience. Like these old Game Boy games or whatever, my gaming year, which I don't actually do a whole year in advance, but you know what I mean, like try to figure out what I have time for. I usually don't worry too much about download games because I I usually think, oh, I can play through them fast. But I'm thinking like, is this something that I'm going to have to like set aside like 40, 50 hours to get through both of these games? You were cutting cut out a little bit in the beginning there, so I'm not sure if I caught everything. But I, I don't, you know, I don't have an exact memory of how long they took. Uh, but yeah, you will need to set aside a good amount of time. It, they are they are lengthy and they are full featured and everything. So, but you know, I mean, that is a mentality that you have, and I have the same kind of mentality, which I guess is why I don't know. It's weird. Because on the, on the one hand, like Luigi's Mansion is supposed to be bite-sized and everything, but I'm not finding it to be the case. I still don't feel like I have enough time to sit down and play through one chapter of a mansion at a time. But, uh, I don't know, you just got to break through it. Like, print off on paper a bunch of sheets that just say, like, handhelds are consoles, too, or something like that. <laughs> and just keep them around your room, keep them around your workspace. Just let the mantra fill you, play the games, and then take them yeah. out. Well, it- it's not even that. It's that these things kind of come out of nowhere, I guess. Like most, like most retail games, you, you know about like a year in advance or not always, but like a decent amount of time in advance. And like, I kind of have a sense, oh, I'm probably going to pick up eight or nine games or whatever next year. And these are the ones on my list. And then when some game comes out of nowhere that's like 40, 50 hours long, then it's like throws my whole system out into whack. We've been hearing about this game for at least 12 years. <laughs> but, but I guess we didn't know exactly when no, it was. I, I know what you're talking until about. Recently. Like, it was only announced for the, you know, that, that it was actually coming soon, like within the last few months or something, I think. Yeah, probably the last half year. No, no longer. And then Earthbound, the same thing. It's like now that's going to take a bunch of my time. I'm not going to have time for any retail games this year, I think. Well, I guess that's, you know, assisting with the push to digital. You know, maybe that's the whole point. So we won't care when they have nothing for us. <laughs> After Wind yeah, Waker just... HD, there's just nothing. But anyway. But yeah, so that's what I will be playing <laughs> and I'm very excited <laughs> for. Uh, but let's take a break and then we'll get into a little bit of Nintendo Direct stuff.
Alright, and we're back, and we are going to discuss the Nintendo Direct a little bit. Uh, they kind of rehashed a lot of the same games and stuff that we've been hearing about, giving us a little bit more information about some things. And I'm excited getting... about Sonic. <laughs> uh, Joe took my direction a little bit too literally there, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, uh, some a lot of the games they've mentioned, and we have more tidbits to discuss, but there was quite a announcement. You could say it was the announcement of the Direct, and Joe tells about that. Well, uh, yes, as, as we were discussing before the recording resumed, you want me to just jump in with my thoughts on Sonic. So, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not actually as excited as that little bit of comedy demonstrated. But I am somewhat excited. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed the recent Sonic games, which um, uh, I think they've gotten better, certainly sort of culminating with colors. So I'm definitely excited to see what will happen in the future. And I think it's a very good idea for Sega to... Be focusing on uh, Nintendo platforms, which is where they've done the best recently. So the news is that they have inked some sort of exclusivity with Nintendo for what they are calling the next three Sonic games. Uh, But we know at least two of them, the first one being the next Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. Uh, And then they just released one sort of teaser image for a game they are calling uh, Sonic the Lost World. Uh, and we don't really know anything more about it than that right now, but... What's the teaser image about? I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's, um... It basically, it looks like... Uh, well, first of all, if you remember back from, like, Sonic 2 on the Genesis days, and then in 3, when uh, Tails would be flying the little biplane, and, like, Sonic is standing on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that... Uh, flying towards this it basically looks like a like a globe except all the continent like all the water has been taken away so it's like all these just like sort of disconnected um pieces of land mass that's freaky Uh, yeah and it's kind of like all rainbowy colored and you know if i were to venture a guess right now I bet Dr. Robotnik has found a way to pull apart these pieces of the world and, like, reassemble it in his own image or something, and you're going to have to, you know, use the Chaos Emeralds to stop it or something like that. But who knows? What I'm guessing, what I'm getting out of this is hopefully this will be the next, uh, you know, sort of main flagship Sonic platformer. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always excited about a new one of those being announced, and... and um, you know, I like I didn't opt in on uh, Sonic Generations because I I find it weird when Sega tries to get too like overtly old school with Sonic. Like same thing with Sonic Four. Like anything where I feel like the Sega marketers are like, well, you don't like our recent modern Sonic games, so don't you remember the 16-bit days? You know, like eh, don't you want to buy it now? But uh, but I think that you know, Lost World certainly looks like something where they're they're looking ahead. They're they're moving forward with the Sonic franchise, and I'm excited about that. Cool. And it is kind of neat to see Nintendo doing more partnerships in general. Yeah. You know, after the Bayonetta thing, I was like, okay, this is what Nintendo needs to do if it wants to uh, really make a name for itself amongst the competitors, is keep having these exclusive titles, mm-hmm. whether they're established franchises from other consoles like Bayonetta, or just even having more Sonic games. I know it doesn't sound like a good idea to people to have more Sonic games, but uh, but I don't. I think that they're going to do at least a minimal amount of effort, and I think the games will be at least playable, if not hopefully good. And yeah. uh, I don't think I don't think Sonic games 
as a general statement, are really bad. I'm sure there's a f- couple really shitters out there, but but generally, you know, they they do try. They, I mean, they don't want Sonic to suck. It just happens that it keeps continuing to do so. But uh, so hopefully, these three will turn out to be, um, you know, better for Nintendo and everything, and yeah. lead lead the way to this mentality that Nintendo is trying to get exclusives from people. Yeah, and I think you know one thing that um, people sort of underestimate because you know the whole Sonic franchise, I think, it takes a lot of flack. Just like Nintendo, and just like Nintendo, they keep being lucrative. You know, I mean, like the Sonic games. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that like has truly flopped, and I'm not sure that one has. Like, even regardless of of the quality, you know. So, uh, from a sales success perspective, like this is kind of a big deal for Nintendo, and it is kind of nice that the more and more it's looking like they're just not going to be able to win when it comes to the more traditional, you know, hardcore games, like those third parties are just going to ignore Nintendo for as long as they possibly can. It's nice that, you know, a series like Sonic, which doesn't have those sort of like image hangups, will be able to find, I think, a nice home on a Nintendo platform. So, and of course the whole thing about the bitter rivals of, Sega and Nintendo bearing the hatchet. I think that story never really gets old. So <laughs> this is just another cool chapter in that in that saga. I would love if like a Sonic game, maybe the last Sonic game ever, if, if, say somehow the video games industry is going to crash and they can make one more Sonic game, and somehow Sonic beats Dr. Robotnik and his head opens up and it's Mario <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> uh, that's pretty. Fun. That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, are you excited for this at all, or do you just not care about the uh, Blue Hog? I don't have much of an opinion on Sonic. I, I've the only ones I've really played are like I played probably the first one way back in the days on my cousin's Genesis. Probably didn't get past the first few stages. I've played Sonic Rush on the DS, which I thought was okay, but like I didn't need any more of it. And I think I played Adventure Battle on the GameCube. Was that on Sonic Adventure Battle Two? Mm-hmm. Which that was a very I don't know. Like I don't. I I think I've enjoyed all the Sonic that I played, but it never gets me that excited. Like Sonic Adventure Battle Two, I really did enjoy the Sonic parts. The other two parts weren't that great, but but I don't know. Like I I was actually thinking of getting Colors when it got all of this hype, like this is the best Sonic game in years or whatever. <laughs> what was that? I was, well, Joe kind of started the, the whole hype train, the post-release hype train for Sonic Colors, at least on Negative World. Oh, okay. With the Euphonic yeah, podcast. I mean, it got pretty decent reviews, too. It was not like, not like amazing reviews, but it got pretty decent reviews, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll try it out, but it just ended up being one of those games that, due to not having a lot of time, and it came near the end of the Wii, I just never got around to. See, I'm surprised that, you know, with the recent partnership with Sega that Negative Worlds had uh, <laughs> last month, that you would have probably bought the whole catalog and just gone to town. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, so I'm kind of disappointed in you. Well, actually, see, when they took over Negative World, they deposed me as the leader. So oh, okay. I wasn't very happy about that. Oh, so now you're just getting back at them after the whole merger fell through. I, I do see. think, like, I, I like, there's certain franchises that I like the concept. Like, I like the concept of a very fast-paced platformer that's, like, almost 
like the the Sonic uh, Adventure Battle, the Sonic parts, they were almost like a combination to me of like a racing game and a platformer, which is a pretty cool idea. So I feel like if they really just nail it in like, maybe not if they nail it, maybe if it's just okay, maybe I'll pick it up anyway, because I was like, oh, I wanted to try colors, never got around to it, maybe now's now's the time. Well, and the thing, you know, the thing with colors uh, is that they really sort of, um, it it was almost like a uh, new Super Mario Brothers kind of approach, I think, because it was... It was basically, I think, largely like a 2D Sonic game, which is like the old school formula, except they didn't use any of like the old school mechanics. Like it was all the modern mechanics, but like modern physics and stuff, um, but with largely 2D gameplay. There were still there was still a healthy dose of those 3D, you know, race like uh, segments, as you're describing. But um, but they kind of took a backseat. I think to the 2D stuff. I don't know. It was really integrated very well um, because I do like the the 3D uh, elements probably just as much, if not more, than the 2D stuff. But it was really, it was just blended really seamlessly. Um, but I think it was sort of more of like a new Super Mario Brothers mentality of being applied to the Sonic franchise. Yeah, I d- I do find it interesting, especially with all these sort of indie platformers and everything popping up that just the idea of a fast-paced platformer because so many of the indie platformers are more like slow puzzle based which is cool mm-hmm. like for what they're doing but there's it seems like there's not too many even like mario feels fast compared to a lot of these indie platformers so sure it's like the idea of just like fast paced there's a rhythm there's like keep moving you know something like that that's kind of appeals to me mm-hmm well, and as a lot of Sonic fans always say, you know, the Sonic franchise is never really about speed as much as momentum. And I think that is, you know, what you were trying to um, conclude there is that, like, yeah, it is it is all about, like, keeping inertia and, you know, like, moving forward with momentum, um, which is certainly unique in the platforming genre. You know, that really hasn't caught on with any other franchises that I can think of. Like nowadays, they have a lot of those like uh, phone-based kind of like platforming things where you don't even control the horizontal movement, you know. So you could make an argument that those are based on momentum and speed, but it's still totally different. Yeah. So now, speaking of uh, you know a, ma- uh, a platformer starring a colored mascot, uh, Luigi and his whole DLC thing, we got some interesting news on that, didn't we? We did. We got uh, price and and release date. Uh, release date, yeah. Or so, I should say, release dates. Which yes. that was a big curveball, frankly. It's a little surprising. It 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 sort of makes you wonder. I don't know. To me, when I hear that, it's that they want people to get the digital version. I think, and I think they want to make a case for digital. You know, I think anyone that produces well, games physically would probably rather not this is so. the first case really of nintendo releasing something digitally and re- at retail and then having them have different prices with digital being cheaper i don't oh, think they've yeah. actually done that yet and this is a different case than your standard you know hey we're going to just let you download this game too if you want to because uh, it kind of was idealized as a dlc first and they're or like fire emblem where they're going to just not print many copies and and then oh. be like look everyone downloaded it it's like, yeah, because they couldn't find it in the stores. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that's a whole different topic right there. But uh, I guess we'll just state, you know, for people who may have not heard for some reason, um, the Super Luigi U, I think that's the full title, right? Super Luigi U. That's going to be coming out for $20 on June 20th in DLC. And you have to own the original New Super Mario Bros. U. But if you wait until August 25th, you can get it for 30 bucks, And you can... I'm pretty sure you don't need anything but the disc to play. Correct. And that's... I think that's really cool that they're doing that. 20 to $30 is pretty much the price point everyone was okay with. And mm-hmm. most people wanted 20 So this really gives best of both worlds. The tough thing, in my opinion, and I've heard this from a lot of people, is that the box art's so freaking good... <laughs> and the and the thing looks so damn good. A lot of people want to wait for the retail copy. It's that green box. Somehow yeah. it's like I'm amazed it's going over as well as it is. But like, yeah, myself included, it's like, man, that looks snazzy. And so I'm trying to think, like, what am I doing June 20th, and will I want to wait till August 25th? Mm. I can easily save up the other ten dollars between that time if we want to talk fiscally. But uh, I don't know. I mean, what's I mean, I don't know if you're going to have a, a Wii U by then. Um, nope. No? Okay. So then when when the time comes, are you just going to pay the extra money for it? Me? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So you'll buy the disc for 60 or cheaper if you can find it on a deal, but 60 hypothetically. Mm-hmm. And then you'd pay the other 34 Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, is that because of the packaging? Mm, no. It's just because of the physical media. I'm a physical media dork. Right. So... And again, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to buy Animal Crossing on the cart, which is like insane to a lot of people these days. But you know, same thing too. I, I kind of want that physical medium. Um, if I'm playing the game enough, it's going to be in my cart or in my system anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I have that like game case that holds 18 games, so I've never. Hell's really, yeah! yeah that never, thing is awesome. It's like the best thing I've ever gotten from uh, Club Nintendo. No kidding. But um, so I don't really feel the need to to worry about that, and I'd rather save my uh, SD card space that I have. I mean, I could up- upgrade, I guess, but I'm happy with it right now, and it's got, you know, demos, it's got trailers, it's got save games, it's got downloaded titles already that I can only get digitally, and so I'm, I'm content with filling up that way. Mm-hmm. What about you, Andrew? Well, I'm not really sure. To be honest, I'm not like... I mean, I like new Super Mario U. I kind of like it a lot, actually, but it's not the kind of game where after playing New Super Mario 2 and that in the same year that I really need to be day one on more of it. It's like, sure, I'll play more of it eventually, but I don't think I need to just rush out and buy it day one. And originally, I didn't even know, well, none of us knew that they were going to do a retail release. So I was just like, oh, I'm going to buy the DLC, whatever. If it's 20 bucks, that's probably about the right price. I'm fine with that. But now that they have this retail release, I'm actually thinking if I if I'm gonna wait anyway, I bet I could find it retail cheaper than twenty in time. Yeah, you're like the king of deal searching. Find like all you do for cheap. I'm the king of cheapness. But yeah, but I think we're maybe not even cheaper, but maybe to sit at twenty or something. Like anything yeah. retail you find cheaper in time and you you know, hopefully that will be the case for digital too. And now that we have sales and stuff on Nintendo's platforms, but I don't think Luigi's going to be on sale anytime in the near future. Yeah. But with, um, I know like physical media, yeah, it usually does come down in price eventually, but aren't first party Nintendo games usually the exception to that. 
Yeah, but when I say deals, I mean like retailer deals. Like you could always find oh, Nintendo's price is still sixty or whatever. You could always find cheaper through some retailer somewhere. They're trying to offer, you know, buy two get one free or something. Which I buy so many games that I take advantage of those sometimes too. I get you. Yeah, I never have the patience for that. Like if I want a game, I just buy it. I. Well, well, look who makes money. Well, no, I mean, I just plan my purchases around my my funds and stuff. I mean, I'm buying look a lot more games. Who's responsible? <laughs> well, not so much lately because I have been making a little more money, and thus I've been able to afford more more games, even when I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> so I am a little drunk behind the wheel in that regard. Uh, well, I think the thing too is there's very few. There's a couple exceptions, but there's very few games that come out that excite me enough that I'm like, I really can't wait on this. And so I'm usually fine with waiting. And then once you're waiting anyway, once you've waited like two months or something, you're like, well, why not just wait till I see it cheap? You know, like it's probably going to be cheap within the next month or something anyway. So yeah, perhaps. I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate, especially because of negative world. I'm a big advocate of playing it with the group dynamic. And so, uh, I don't care about you guys. Huh? Uh, that's fair enough. Well, I tried to do that with some games. Like I got Luigi's Mansion right away, and uh, obviously I bought my Wii U like day one with Mario, and came with Nintendo Land, and I bought a bunch of digital games like day one. But I, I don't need to do that with every game. I'm usually in the middle of so many games. It's kind of like even even sometimes I buy games and I don't want to start them right away because I'm in the middle of so many games. So they're sitting here like unplayed. Like that's what happened with Virtue's Last Reward. It's it was sitting here for a little bit unplayed, and I'm just like, why not just lend this to my brother? He could play it first because I'm not going to start it anytime soon anyway. I have Fire Emblem sitting here. I haven't started that yet, so well, that's the bottom in now, kind of. So maybe I should learn from that lesson, but I really can't. I just can't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's what's going on with that, which is pretty cool. I'm glad that they told us, and I'm glad that it's sooner than later. That they're not trying to stuff this into the fall. Uh, I mean, yeah, August is still pretty far away from the fall, so that's cool. It is cool. Yeah. So uh, the other really big game was uh, Pikmin. They showed even more of that. It's still on its way. Uh, and that was, oh, I forgot to write it down. It's like August 9th, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me look at my calendar. Everyone just wait. Um, I didn't jot it down. Awesome. So, yeah, it does. it comes out in like August, I believe. And uh, and that's cool. I'm definitely going to be getting that as well. So maybe getting that and the Luigi and re- well, no, I'm going to get the Luigi in retail probably. So let's just now move you, on from that. You were you are a big Pikmin fan, right? No, I've okay. played 15 minutes or less of both. I'm really thinking of a different podcast host. Well, I keep I keep getting excited about it, and I'm very excited for Pikmin three. I think that I'm going to really enjoy it. So I'm like a latent fan. <laughs> I look back on my life and realize, you know what? I should have been a fan this whole time. I can't wait. I understand. Yeah. I I believe um, I was listening to, maybe it was the la- last podcast you guys did. You guys were talking about Pikmin 3, and neither of you have really played the old Pikmin games that much. That's correct. So then I thought I could that come on correct. here and explain to you why you're both wrong. No, thanks. <laughs> Why <laughs> Pikmin 3 is nope. definitely going to be... Next segment. 
No, but it, it did inter- it, it, I did find it interesting though because you guys were talking about. It, and I was just thinking like, yeah, I mean, I've played a bunch of these games, so maybe next time I come on. Well, please do. I mean, I, I do believe that I'm wrong in believing that I wouldn't enjoy it. So I have made that progress. But like, tell me what you think is the greatest aspects of it that that is why we should give it a try. Well, it's it's good. I guess it's hard to put in the words because it's it's like Nintendo often takes something that's sort of an established like this is technically an RTS game. You know, that's an established genre. But they sort of tend to put their own twist on it such that it doesn't really even play like most of the games in the genre do. So, I mean, I know you've played Little King Story, so it's not it. going to be brand new to you because that is kind of a Pikmin clone in a lot of ways. But, in, and I did love Little King Story as well, but I think like if I put that up against Pikmin 2, I would pick Pikmin 2 easily, like any day of the week. So it's, it's kind of like the, the world is amazing for one, like, Graphically speaking, and I, I don't know too much about Pikmin Three. I haven't been keeping up with all the. the... That looks graphically amazing. Okay, so that what. that's true as well. Because yeah, both of the, the old Pikmin games looked really good, and just style, tech, everything about the graphics looked good. And it, you're basically playing in this world where you're kind of like, it's almost like a Honey I Shrunk the Kids type thing, where like everything around you is huge. You know, it's like you're. You're tiny in this world. Yeah, you're in Miyamoto's garden. Yeah, it's. I think that's what, where it came from, his garden. Mm-hmm. So, so it it has that whole sense of exploration, like you know, every around every curve, you never really know what's next and what to expect. And I've played the Nintendo Land mini game of it pretty uh, substantially, and so I kind of understand the combat and stuff like that. And it's it is very much like Little King Story, and so I realize I'm going to enjoy that too, but. The exploration is really what I haven't experienced. And so you're saying that, is there like a lot of nooks and crannies and just really wonderful lush environments to explore? There is a lot of that. And it's the way that, I mean, I think this game's probably going to be more like Pikmin 2 than the first one. The way Pikmin 2 worked is there was kind of each area you went to, there was kind of an overworld. And then there were also like caves you could go into to explore. So the overworld... It's kind of, it, I'd say it's sort of like you can't get to the whole thing at, at once. There's stuff that's blocked off. There's various things you need to do in different orders. So you're, you're continually exploring the overworld throughout your, your stay in, in any given area. And you're collecting the pieces, which in the past were like treasure, but I think now they're just fruit. So you're collecting all the, whenever you're, you're like juicing your, your, you have a liquid diet, I guess, in this <laughs> yeah. Pikmin 3. Yeah, and I guess we could get to that in a second because that's one of the the big changes is how how the progression works and everything. And but so you're going around this overworld, you're collecting item, you know, items whenever you find them. And like every time you find a new one, it's always a little cool because they're not everywhere. Like in the first Pikmin, there were only thirty in the entire game. In the second Pikmin, there were two hundred, so they're a little more common, but. It's still like that's the point of the game. Like, whoa, I found this item. I need to get it back to my ship. So you, you have all these different Pikmin. They all have, they all do different things. You have to figure out w- to use the right ones in the right order. You're managing time. You, in Pikmin 2, you were jumping between two different guys. And this one, I think there's like four. And, well, one of them's a, a girl, I think. 
And so you're, you're having to manage all these different resources and stuff. And it just pulls this all together, like the strategy elements with, and this is one thing I, and I do like some like old PC type RTS games, but like they were always more like point and click. Like you just click on something and it does something. Like this is a game where you control a character who's running around. So it has like event, like action adventure elements within a strategy game. Right. I think it really combines those well. And like when you're actually doing the the battles and stuff, it has like a really cool system and you're controlling your character, running around, throwing Pikmin at them, trying to get out of the way of attacks and stuff like that. Well, it's definitely a really compelling sounding game. And the other things that they've talked about in the Nintendo Direct seem to really make it feel very refined already. And they've really thought about how to streamline this to make it really easy for people while also shoehorning in their their tablet a little bit um they were showing off things like you can kind of get an over like a god view of the world and scroll around to kind of see what but only what you've already explored so you can't just spy on everything um and i kind of like that that like like in xenoblade how it would show you the map as you grew with it and that's kind of a cool thing and then you said that there's four playable characters um I think there's three. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I think Olimar. You don't play as him at least initially. I know he's in the game, uh, from what I remember hearing. So I mean, maybe he's a playable character later. But I think there's three troops who are one. One is like his brother or his brothers look alike. There's that girl, and there's like some really short dude or something. Uh, but what's cool about that is they've confirmed that you definitely want uh, can play with them all on the same day and kind of manage three different infantries, so to speak. And you can just switch between them all on the fly, and uh, so that's you know that seems kind of exciting. Although hopefully not too daunting of a of a thing to keep control of. One thing that someone brought up that uh, you know my eyes light up when they say online co-op as a possibility is um, they're wondering if maybe the multiplayer that they've yet to really reveal could be some sort of online co-op where you know you have one of those captains and you know your other friends are using the other ones. Uh, what do you well, guys think about that possibility? Well, Makes there, sense. Uh, there was a co-op mode offline in Pikmin 2, but it wasn't the main campaign. It was like there's 30, I think there were 30, like, bonus stages that were kind of self-contained stage challenge stages, and you went for, like, time and, like, efficiency, like, the least amount of Pikmin killed and stuff. And they were actually really fun. I played through them all single player and then I also played through a bunch of them co-op with, you know, my brother and my cousin. So I don't know if maybe they would just do something like that again where it's not the whole game. It's more like these separate, separate challenge modes to do. Mm. Well, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Um, a couple of quick points I wanted to make about other things that they talked about was they're like everyone was kind of wondering, well, how are they, how's it going to control? And they totally unveiled all that. You are going to be able to use your Wiimote and Nunchuck combo, which is what a lot of people I think think is ideal anyway. But you also can use the gamepad. You can use a classic controller pro. Um, and actually, I think they said that you can use the gamepad as a screen, which... Yeah, I think so. Like, as the actual main screen uh, while using, like, the Wiimote Nunchuck. So that's kind of fascinating. I'm not really sure how that would work, but uh, I guess as far as how you'd have to have your setup, but... I mean, well, maybe that would only work with the classic controller pro method. You know what I mean? But that's uh, pretty damn sweet. Mm. And it's again, it just shows so much. Po- I think that they're really trying to make sure this is a polished product because of how long it has been. Yeah, I think 
Nintendo really wants this to succeed and, you know, because they've really been like building it up for such a long time now. And yet the Pikmin franchise has never really been that huge, you know, so they're putting some weight behind it and And, uh, we'll see. And two, they probably want a lot of people to, to buy this, even if they've never played Pikmin before. Because it's kind of the first game that really is trying to showcase the power of the system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the game, the trailers look beautiful. You watch yeah. them in 1080p or something on YouTube, and it's just, or 720 or whatever the max that they're releasing in. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the videos might even be only 720p, but, you know, they'll be even greater of a re- resolution when the game's being played. So um, it's like the first trailer. Th- this trailer for this game was the first time I became a graphic whore. As a right. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's really not too many games, period, where like I would play them just for the visuals. Right. Um, but this could be one of them. I mean, it just looks looks really sure. cool. Well, I think like pe- there's some people who complain that even though Nintendo often makes amazing graphics, they're kind of like cartoony. Pikmin, I think, is in the middle though it has these really like beautiful natural environments but then like the enemies and stuff are still kind of like they use a lot of bright colors like your peepin are red blue yellow stuff like that and the enemies also there's a lot of bright colors mixed in so i think it's like a really cool style that kind of has some of you know the cartoony style but some of the really natural style as well right that's actually a really excellent point because yeah the, the characters are very cartoony and very stylized but then i distinctly remember um seeing in it this footage of this strawberry that they came across and it was like you know it looked like you could freaking take a bite out of that strawberry and maybe that will sound stupid yeah, don't in try that Joe. 10 years but <laughs> okay uh no but i told you i understand what you're saying i mean the individual seeds are so clear yeah and everything it's it's pretty sweet um I guess to move on, since we have uh, little time, but still we have more to talk about. Well, let me just uh, there's because there's one more thing I think Peekman fans will be very interested in. I don't know how much you guys know about, it, but there's actually sort of a very divided camp between fans of the first game and fans of the second game. Now I like really, I like both, but I prefer the second one. But the big thing that people disagree on is the time. The time limit, because the first game has a very strict limit. You have 30 days to complete the game. You could spend your time playing, and if you, but if you somehow mess up and don't do that, you're done. You have to start the whole game over from the start. You know, like there's no extra time. The second game, you get as many days as you want to complete things. Each day still passes. There's time there, and like when you, you know. But there's no, like, actual limit, so you're free to just take your time, explore. If you don't get something done one day, no big deal. You could go do it the next day, you know, whatever. And some people really liked the pressure of having to actually, like, do things, like, in this really, like, precise way and, like, make sure you're using your resources to the maximum. And then other people really like, you know, the relaxed style. And I think the third game, it sounds like they're kind of, in between the two because it sounds like Pikmin 2 where you have as many days as you need to complete things. There's no specific day limit, but now it sounds like you have to continue to keep getting fruit to survive. Right, like the amount of days doesn't matter so much, but what you do in that day is still kind of a time crunch. You have to be effective with your time. 
Yeah, because if you just stop getting anything, you're going to not get the fruit you need to live, and then you'll die in some fashion. That's what it sounds like. So I think they found an interesting compromise, and I don't know if it's going to make both camps happy, but it sounds fine to me. So. Well, again, as I've said already with other games on this podcast, we will soon find out. Uh, one last thing I wanted to mention then. Uh, the Wonderful 101 got a street date as well, September 15th. And that's pretty cool. So if maybe, you know, you'll have beaten Pikmin 3 and then you'll be like, you know, I want some more, but different. And then you'll go with hmm. Wonderful 101, which looks really cool. It's actually very different. It's a very different game. It, it, it confuses you by having all these characters that follow you around, but it's it's like way more like a straight up action game. Right, right. It's like a mix of Beautiful Joe and Pikmin, kind of. Yeah. I mean, and, and more. I mean, I don't know. Having not really played much Beautiful Joe or Pikmin, I guess I'm talking on my <laughs> ass, but that's from a bystander's standpoint. Well, well, the thing about it, because I did play Wonderful 101 last year at the, the event I went to, and the thing about it is there's not really like, you, you don't really control the individual characters. So it's kind of not too much like the Pikmin Little King story thing where you're like throwing this character one way and this character another way. It's more like they just all come together to create a huge sword. Right. Like, is it kind of like, fluidity in that sense where like technically they could split off but it's sort of like one big mass that you're controlling like a bunch of once. nanobots creating one yeah thing. it's it, uh, that's it's kind of like that yeah or drops of the puddle in fluidity yeah anyway so that's the nintendo direct i mean there was some more little tidbits here and there it wasn't that you know monumental of a of a moment for for nintendo fans but that's because they're saving everything for the next one which uh is going to have it in the next month or so, or like three weeks probably, and it's going to supposedly have all sorts of blowouts and everything. So we'll be talking about that surely. Uh, in the little time we have left, Andrew, do you want to tell us about ASEN? Yeah, I got to go to a Chicago anime, they call it an anime, manga, and Japanese culture convention. And I was actually able to go as press through Negative World, which is pretty cool. And so that happened over the weekend. It's, it's a three day conference. It's huge. Like they basically take over this big hotel and this big conference center and a big part of another hotel all by the O'Hare airport. So these are like huge hotels and conference centers because this is like, you know, O'Hare and there's just like thousands of people there and it's nuts. All kinds of stuff going on. Um, it's not specifically about video games, but they have a ton of video game things, which is why I was able to go as press, I guess. And, you know, like I, I guess like, I don't even know where to start. Like there's, there's the show floor where you could like purchase stuff from vendors and I found all sorts of cool stuff there. And if you check my threads, I have these neat little like Mega Man robot masters made out of beads that I bought. That was awesome. I yeah. totally support your Crash Man selection. I you think know, that Andrew needs to start making his own. I've I, I actually thought about that because it can't be that hard. I'm sure you just get these beads, put them on the in the pattern, and just iron them or something. But I'm too lazy, so purchase them. I will. Too lazy and, to iron, ladies. He's not single. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's that kind of thing. There's there's panels which are basically you go sit in a room and some people give a presentation and there's all different kinds sometimes it's like just people telling you about something other times it's like a quiz 
show. There were there were so many cool sounding video games, ones that I missed. Like there was one that was just called Name That RPG Tune. And I'm like, I would have been very good at that, I think. <laughs> but uh the ones I did go to were um one about eight bit art, which actually ended up being a lot more about music than art, but it was still pretty cool. And one about like retro gaming. So it was just kind of like a history of, of the different older, older consoles and stuff and how retro gaming has made a, a revival in recent times. So those panels were pretty cool. There's obviously all the cosplay. I took tons of pictures and I made, you know, there are tons of Nintendo characters in, in the cosplay. So, you know, I got Midna, I got Mr. Game and Watch, Vega from Street Fighter, all these pictures. So if you, if you haven't seen that yet, just search Ace in, in our content and you'll find my top 10 cosplayers plus a bunch of other cosplay pictures. Big fat guy as Sailor Moon. Yeah, Bubba. see that's that's an example of why cosplay is always interesting. You have <laughs> people who are trying to like sexy it up, and then you have people who are trying to like be all buff and masculine, and you know on the other side of the spectrum. But then you have people who are just like trying to be really creative and really do a great authentic job, and then you have that guy <laughs> who's doing all three. I I thought he was like random, but apparently he's super famous, and he even had his own bobblehead that you could buy oh for a while. God. <laughs> so uh he's on your he's, children's nightmares what i guess he's there every year and he's just a staple of the show his name's sailor bubba but sailor. um <laughs> i want to see like um some sort of indie game based on him please somebody it's the sailor bubba the game oh yeah totally yeah so they have that they they obviously they show a bunch of like full anime movies and episodes if you want to i didn't really have time to sit down with any of that they had a huge video game room. You could go in and play a bunch of, they had old school consoles, new consoles, everything. I also didn't play much of that because I didn't have a lot of time. They had, geez, all kinds of stuff, really. Just all these events. They have big, like, uh, photo shoot type things where they'll get together, like, you know, the, uh, like 50, 100 people who are all cosplaying as Zelda characters or whatever. And they all, get to one place at one time and then everyone could take pictures of them and everything. And yeah, that's, that's kind of most of it. There was also, uh, the, the secret thing I mentioned in the thread that I haven't really spoken too much about on the board yet, which is there was a burlesque show that I attended. What? Attended is a funny way of putting it. You start in it, right? Uh, I didn't quite star in it. Not, not, sorry, I must have missed it. Next year, maybe next year I could start. No, there was a burlesque show that I attended, and I've honestly never been to a burlesque show, so it was new to me. I think it was new I would have. Did you say it was new? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I like interrupting you for jokes. Go ahead. That's that's accurate as well, but I think I would have enjoyed it more if I didn't spend almost two hours in line to see a less than half hour show because. Okay. It, st- it was supposed to start at 6 o'clock on Saturday. And so the line already started by 5, and I was like, there's no way I'm getting in this unless I get in line. So I got in line at like 5.15. They didn't even let us in until 7. So, you know, around 7 o'clock is when it actually ended up starting because I don't know why. It was running late. So almost two hours in line, and the whole thing was over within like 25 minutes. It was an interesting experience. 
I don't need to talk too much about burlesque, but you know, as you will, it was very video game oriented. So the performers were dressed up as video game characters. Um, it's kind of like comedy at times and goofiness, but also people taking their clothes off as <laughs> burlesque has. And yeah, I, I kind of feel like I don't know what I feel about it because especially anyone on negative world who's like seen me on the boards knows that I'm kind of, I don't know. Like I'm kind of like very like almost like what you would call a feminist in some ways or like a male feminist. And so like, I don't really know what I think about these kind of things. I will say this though. Like it's a lot, it seems a lot more pro female than like a strip club or something. Like the show was like, the women are in charge. The audience is the submissive. Like, you know, the, the, the one lady came on and she's all like, you know what? You are my bitch tonight. Like saying that to the audience. <laughs> like everyone's like cracking up and stuff. And it's just like a, it was more like a fun atmosphere. And like there was no like, you know, the audience has no real like control over it. It's like you're just, you're taking it in a show. You know, you, you, you get what they give you and that's it. And it's like, Obviously, it's more about teasing too. It's like it teases you, but there's no like full on nudity or anything. So, well, good to know. <laughs> that was that was my time at at Asin. Yeah, I was there Saturday and Sunday. Sunday's kind of a short day. They ended everything by four o'clock. So, I think next year if I go again, I'll just take off work and try to go every day because there's. I felt like even being there like a full day and a half, there's just so much that I missed. Well, you know, hopefully you'll be going back next year and uh, maybe bring along another reporter from Negative World. That'd be cool. Yeah. Try to see if Anand will come with. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll just have him crash regardless, whether he's invited yeah. or not, whether you get a ticket or not. Um, I, I was actually, I'm looking into trying to do a panel, like my own panel next year, because I've heard it's not that hard to get to get your own panel. And once I saw some of these panels, I was like, I could put together like a wicked panel, like, I've run a site that has features. I've been a teacher, like combining all this experience. I think I could put together something pretty sweet. And then think about what if you do panels is you also get like the more panels you do, the more sort of free tickets you get for your friends to show up. Right. So I'm like, you know, even if I could only get like one press pass next year, maybe if I do some panels and I'll be able to get someone else in for free or whatever. Well, you know, let's talk. Uh, I mean, I don't know what capacity things will be, but I mean, I, I wouldn't have been able to come this year, even if you were able to and actually wanted me to come. But uh, what's the drive from Detroit to Chicago? Oh, uh, it's like four and a half hours. Mm. It's under five, that's for sure. So it's not too bad. And you know, depending on how things work, I could maybe already be in Indiana for some other things. And uh, you know, you never know. So it'd be kind of cool to uh, to try to participate. You know, represent the podcast, and we could get some other people from the tri-state area. Yeah. Get Joe if he uh, if he's willing to drive. It's not totally out of the question. I don't know. You know, just got to plan ahead. But speaking of planning ahead, we did not plan the length of this podcast too much because we're cutting into some other stuff we got to get to. So, um, any last comments from Andrew at least? I am no lost, no lost, no last comment. And okay, and then <laughs> I already know what Joe is. So. Actually, I have a couple things I wanted to add. Oh, um, yeah? Just kidding. No. I you don't. said it. you got to do it. Okay. Commit. Well, what I wanted to add is sports. 
TV, oh. Call of Duty. And the dog from Call of Duty. Yep. I hope he gets his own spinoff game. <laughs> like a Call of Duty Okami. Call of Doggy. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one I saw was Collar Duty. Collar Duty. Uh, <laughs> see what they did there? Well, see, because uh, they should spell duty as in D-O-O-D-Y. Duty. And it, yeah, because <laughs> dogs, they shit a lot on lawns and stuff. It's, it's kind of true. part of their life. It's a big part. That yeah, could be a uh, game. So, yeah. So many uh, podcast titles in this last 30 seconds, but it's not really Nintendo-based, so it doesn't seem appropriate. No. No. Anyway, <laughs> to all who have made it this far in the podcast, that wraps up another episode of the Negative World Podcast. And we'd really like you to comment on what you've heard. Uh, do this on negativeworld.org. Just got to find a thread that will be associated with this episode. If you don't want to subscribe to Negative World, you can reach us through the Facebook page. You just got to search for negativeworld.org. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter, at negative underscore world. And really, you should, because all of our community content gets posted up there. And it's a good way to stay in the know mm-hmm. with Negative World. So, uh, And actually, we've had a few new users uh, as of late. And some of them really are going crazy, submitting new content, reviews, features. It's pretty cool. So uh, we're really loving the community we got here. So come join us. And you guys just don't back <laughs> up at all. You're like, maybe not. Let me just stay quiet here. I concur. <laughs> okay, there you go. I could have used something like that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Enhanced Podcast if you feel like it, because uh, we do still continue to do that for people. So hopefully somebody out there is enjoying it. And uh, you know, we'll see you later. Bye.